Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, our theme for this day is one. We'll have two assemblies in the preaching of God's Word, but the theme is one. It's single, it's simple, and it's important for you. And our goal is to rejoice. Amen. And to love these things. We have a message of hope yeah. and a religion of hope and a religion of joy. There's nothing in this world that can hurt us. And those that have gone before us would lay down their lives because they knew that there was something better for them and that death was nothing. Our religion mocks death. That's right. Oh, death. Oh, death. Where is thy sting? Oh, grave. Where is thy victory? We thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is our religion. Men have feared death from the very beginning. When, it was, when that sentence was cast upon our first father, and they have made every effort to get rid of it, but we're the only ones that know the victory over it. And when I say we are the only ones, I mean everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and in truth throughout the whole world, world without end. Amen. All of them. Now, brethren, some of you were raised in Presbyterian churches. Some of you were raised in Episcopal churches, all of which taught you to sit like stoic stumps. When I read my Bible, I find in New Testament worship services that men said, Amen. Right. Amen. That's a little better. Men said, Amen. It's not for the pastor. Although it helps the pastor. It's not for the people. Though it helps the people. It's for the Lord. Because you get to agree. And say, God, it is so in truth. It is so. I agree with that. I believe that. Lord, I believe that. You know, I'm thankful that we were born white. Sometimes, though, I wish we'd been born black. Mm -hmm. Because then you wouldn't have to work so hard on this simple little lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says the reason that you weren't supposed to speak in tongues in a public assembly so that everyone could understand your language so that at the right point they could all say, Amen. Now listen, brethren, it's not for me. I've never asked you to say amen for me. It's for one another and it's for the Lord's sake. I'll be last in that line. But I want visitors to come into our church and hear a whole assembly that agrees with the sound doctrine that I hope comes out of this pulpit. Now, last Lord's Day was some pretty sound doctrine. And it's pretty harsh to the ears that have been softened by the effeminate, milk toast language coming out of most pulpits. But if there's amens coming from the assembly, it says we all agree with this. If you want to agree with us, then stay. If you don't, goodbye. And that's fine. That's fine. Brethren, this morning's and this afternoon's sermon is entitled, Death Declared, Death Defied, and Death Destroyed. 
And I want to focus on the death defied. I want to show you from the Word of God that the, the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles defied death. Wouldn't you say the words that I just quoted from 1 Corinthians 15 sounded like defying death? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Ha, ha. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? We thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, brethren, the Lord has saved us and been merciful to us physically. We have not laid one to rest for 20-some years. But we will soon. Are we all ready for it? Amen. It should be a hopeful time. Right. Amen. We have a religion of hope. Amen. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more hopeful it is. If you wonder at times why you're afraid of death, that is only normal. That is your instinct. Right. If I were to try to pull you underwater right now, do you know what you would do? Fight. You would fight with energy you didn't know you had and that I didn't know you had. If I tried to pull you underwater, God put that instinct in you. It's the instinct to survive. It's what we need to survive in this world. It keeps us from jumping out of a limb of a tree that's too high, Alex. And it keeps us from driving too fast, Nathan. It does other things for us. That instinct to survive is in us all. And at times, it makes us fearful of death because it's an instinctive fear of death. However, the closer you're walking with the Lord, the more you're obeying, the more you're praying, the more you're reading, the more you're meditating, confessing and singing. Do you know what? You'll get to a place where you don't care. Right. You'll get to a place where... Lord, give me the big one. Right. Just get me out of here. Mm -hmm. yep. Just get me out of here. That only comes, though, through spiritual exercises where the Spirit of God is filling you because the Spirit of God is a spirit of hope. And he sheds that hope abroad in our hearts that God loves us and let's just escape this rat race and be in heaven. Amen. And we get, we get to that place where we can live and walk that way with God and be almost like Enoch by those simple, basic exercises that we must take time for every day. So if you, ever, if you have fear of death and you're wondering, why does the... Listen, I'm afraid of dying sometimes. I'll tell you the truth. But I know the cause. I know the cause. I've got a little too wrapped up in this life, and therefore the Spirit of God is grieved and quenched within me to a certain extent, and to that extent I lose my hope and faith of eternal life and my willingness to die right at that moment. I know that. I've learned that, and the Bible tells it to me. Right. So I want you to know that as we go through this. If, if you don't feel like rejoicing, it's because you're a little separated from God right now. Because when you're walking with the Lord, there is no, there's no fear of death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there, there's a verse for you. For the wages of sin is death. That's death declared. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is, there is a thing called eternal life. Man can live forever. There is immortality. Our gospel brings it to light. Amen. There is eternal life. God promised it before the world began, and men have searched for it ever since. They're still searching for it at your local GNC store. Right. They're still searching for it in their subscriptions to Prevention Magazine. Mm -hmm. They're still searching for it 
in scientific, scientific labs, which is science falsely so-called. They're looking for it. Ponce de Leon discovered Florida looking for it. They've wanted the fountain of youth. They want to postpone death. They want to sanitize death. But they can't get rid of death. Right. We're all going to die. Amen. Because the wages of sin is death. You did the work and God will pay the wages. Amen. We're all going to die. But the gift of God is eternal life Amen. through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Religion was instituted among men and by men for men because of the fear of death. Maybe if I sacrifice my firstborn in the fire to Molech, just maybe that big, stupid, ugly idol will save me from death. Oh, you're kidding me. Maybe if I bring the first sheaves of corn and offer it to my stupid totem pole, maybe I'll go to the happy hunting ground. All of religion is because of the fear of death. Right. Do you understand that? Men are afraid of dying. And that's where religious hucksters come in. Because Hebrews 2.15 tells us that through fear of death, you were all your lifetimes subject to bondage. Amen. When, when, you, when a man can convince you that he has the power over life, death, and eternal life, you'll pay him anything. You'll pay him anything. Well, I hope that you will. I don't have the power. Don't pay me a cent for that. I hope you'll pay the Lord Jesus Christ with a living sacrifice of your lives Amen. because he has the power of life and of death. And the way for you to know that is to give your lives back to him and he'll reassure you with the spirit in your hearts that there is no fear in love. Right. He'll assure you that you are his and you're going to heaven and you can look forward to dying and we're going to go there. Yes. We have two sisters in here. Their mother's the only one mm -hmm. we've ever laid to sleep in this church, but it's going to happen again, and it's going to happen soon, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to show you from the Bible that all we're going to do is put someone to sleep. Amen. They're just going to get to sleep. And do you know what the Bible says about sleep and what we just sang about it? It's a blessed thing. Right. Sleep is wonderful. Don't you love to stretch out in that bed? Don't you love it? Yes. You know the only thing you don't like about sleeping is you have to get up. Well, listen, when you're down there, you won't have to be thinking about it a whole, many, whole lot because you're only going to get up one more time, and you are going to get up. Right. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Let's, do you believe it? Amen. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days? Yes. Right. Do you believe that men ought to marry and go to bed with women? Yes. Right. The Bible tells us that. You know, our world doesn't believe it anymore, but do you still believe that from the Amen. Bible? Do you still believe everything the Bible tells us? Right. It says that dying in the Lord is a precious and a blessed thing, and you're simply going to sleep. Now, that's defying death, Amen. calling it sleep. <laughs> sleep! But that's what the Bible does. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without the knowledge of the Bible, our lives are hopeless. Do you realize that? Mm -hmm. Our lives are hopeless. The number one reason that I hate television, that I hate movies, and I hate everything coming out of Hollywood and Fifth Avenue of New York, Every, the reason I hate it is its hopelessness. Right. I hate less every other evil that is promoted on television and on the big screen other than hopelessness because our religion is one based on hope. 
Yes, there's many other sinful things, but I'm because, you know why I hate that the most? Because it's the most insidious and the most subtle, and most people miss it. They think that they've saved themselves if they don't have nudity in a movie. Forget it! If, if nudity is a far slighter problem than hopelessness. You get rid of the nudity and you've been deceived because the movie is still hopeless. You show me a movie that isn't hopeless. You get rid of all that overt swearing, cussing, murdering, and nudity, sex, and fornication, and adultery, and all that stuff, and I'll show you that it's still hopeless. Do you know why it's hopeless? Because the great director, the great director is hopeless. Right. And he can't stand for us to have any because he doesn't have any. Do you know who the great director is? Satan. It's the devil. Amen. He's had the claim of death against us all because of what he got our first parents to do in the Garden of Eden. Do you all understand that? And he doesn't have any hope, and so he doesn't want you to have any hope. Do you understand that? Right. And so when I talk about movies and television being his pulpit, I'm talking about the hopelessness of a life without Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants you to have. And he'll sometimes give you a sanitized version of it where there's no other sins involved. And you'll think, well, this is wholesome. I don't know where the... You listen, I find the word wholesome once in the Bible. And it's the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But I'll tell you something about your wholesome movie. There's no words of our Lord Jesus Christ in it. Because he never does that. Then it's not wholesome. And if it's not filled with hope, it's not wholesome. That's why our religion is one of hope, brethren. And I'm not angry, and I'm not upset, except against that and them and him. I love all of you, and I want us all to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Right. Amen. Death declared is what we've got to look at first. You know, with our knowledge of the Bible, we should be filled with hope. We know about death. They don't know about death. They imagine that we evolved. You know, and I've told you this before because I want you to think about it. I want you to see through their lie. We evolved. You know, all we were is a bunch of dust floating, floating through the universe, and there was a big bang, and we came into this order. Now listen, if you can take dust and turn it into something as attractive and as, as efficient and as marvelous as the human body, that means evolution is incredibly powerful. But I'll tell you something that it hasn't evolved away, and it's the number one thing that every species wants to get rid of, and it's death. Why, haven't it, why hasn't evolution evolved away death? You know, a little salamander said, I want to be an eagle. I want to be an eagle. I want great big six-foot wingspan, tail feathers, and the ability to fly and the instinct to fly without help or going to school. I want all that. And it was able to get it by evolution. And then a big eagle said, I don't like being so big. I can't get down there and take advantage of that little hummingbird feeder in that yard down there. I want to be a little bird, and I want to beat my wings a whole lot faster. And so a big eagle became a little hummingbird by evolution. That's what they tell us. Now, if that's true, brethren, if any of that's true, if we came from dust into this, and if little salamanders became great, big, beautiful eagles, and if big eagles became little hummingbirds, if all that's true, there's one thing that every species has to get rid of. It's death. <laughs> Is the life expectancy getting longer? No. Oh, we're not doing very well, are we? We're not evolving death away. But you know what, brethren, you have in your hands science truly so-called. Right. The word science means knowledge. Amen. When we say that God is omniscient, when we speak of omniscience, that's all science or all knowledge or all knowing. The word science simply means knowledge. And Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 said, Timothy, don't you be moved 
by science falsely so called. It's nothing but profane babblings. Amen. We have knowledge right here. Right. We know why there is death, where it came from, how long it's going to last, what its effects are, and we know how it's been cured, destroyed, and we know what comes after death. That is in the Word of God, and it is nowhere else in the universe. Love your Bibles. Right. This is the Word of God. This is a light for our path. Amen. This tells us the future. This is a glorious book. Without this book, we are of all men hopeless. Amen. We have no truth, no light, no understanding. We barely know there's a God, that he has eternal power in Godhead, and that what he makes is beautiful. Only Bible believers know the answer to all those things. Brethren, in the Bible, there's three deaths. Adam died the day he ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God told him that was going to happen. You can read it with me right now in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. There's three deaths, but we want to focus on one of them. But we want it, we'll mention from time to time the other two. There's three deaths in the Bible. The first death is what happened to Adam the day that he ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.18 says, 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What was the timing for that death? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they surely died. In one nanosecond, as he took a bite out of that piece of fruit, he realized he was naked, he realized Eve was naked, and they knew that they were ashamed with each other, and they were afraid of God in one second of time. And they went and hid in the trees, made fig leaves, made little skirts out of fig leaves to try to cover each other's nakedness because they were ashamed with each other because of this thing called sin that had now distorted their whole view of life. And they were afraid when God came down to talk to them and walk with them in the cool of the evening. He died. What that death was is the soul of Adam died toward God. He now hated God, resented God. He would rather be with Eve than God. He was fearful of God in a bad way of running away from him, not wanting to repent, not wanting to submit himself to that creator. That is death in sins. That's what we call total depravity. That's what the Bible means when it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Adam died that day. 930 years later, Adam died physically. This body was no longer eternal. Brethren, God set us up perfectly. Adam could eat of every tree of the garden freely. Do you know what was among those trees? The tree of life. The tree of life. He could eat of the tree of life. Right. We had paradise and the tree of life, and we squandered it. You say, I wouldn't have. He was ten times your better man. Right. You would have a long time before he did, and you wouldn't have needed Eve to get you there. Don't ever do that to me. Don't ever do that to yourself or the Lord. Right. The Lord gave us a perfect representative. I'll take you to the zoo and show you just a few species of monkeys, and you're going to go crazy trying to think of names for them. But our first father was able to sit there, and all the animals passed before him. He named them all. I'd say he had a pretty good one, right. and he hadn't been to school. God put us in, the, in paradise with the tree of life. Amen. I'm going to paradise, though, and there's a tree of life there, and I get to eat from it. Are you going with me? Amen. Amen. Am I going with you? Amen. We're all going together. There's a land that is fairer than day. Amen. And by faith, we can see it afar. That's right. 
The tree of life is blooming there, brethren. And there's no cherubim keeping the way of the tree of life. It's come and eat and take of it freely. Three deaths. First one was his heart died, his soul died toward God. He became depraved, he loved sin, he hated God, he loved the devil and submitted himself freely to the devil and he wanted this world rather than heaven and to be with God. Two, he died physically, his body was laid in the grave and corrupted and his body is still there. Third death, called the second death in the Bible. Called the second death in the Bible, but it is truly the third aspect of death. The second is looking at a different context. The third death is when Adam is going to, body is going to be brought back out of the ground and he and his soul are going to be reunited to stand before God and a sentence is going to be pronounced on Adam that he's going to spend eternity in hell. Now, I don't know that Adam's going to hell for sure, but he probably is. In the Bible, he is set up as the sin representative. In the Bible, he is set up with never showing any repentance. In the Bible, he is just shown under the curse of God and there is no relief anywhere in the Bible offered to Adam. None. And we don't know that, but all the evidence is that God left him out of the number of the elect. There was a son, Abel, that we know where he's going to be, and there was a son, Seth, and we know where he's going to be, and there was a seventh from Adam, and we know where he's going to be, Enoch. The Bible tells us some, but we don't know about. That'll be, the, that'll be the third aspect of death. In the Bible, it's called the second death when the pronouncement of the judge is made. You know, when you, when you, go to, when you commit a crime in our country, you are, you are arrested, and you're put in jail. Adam is arrested right now, and he's in jail. He's in hell. Cain, if, if, if Adam's hard for you because you just think Adam's going to be in heaven, you have absolutely no Bible basis at all except a super sick, sentimental heart. There's no Bible basis for it at all. Right. But if, if that's too hard for you, I'll jump to Cain to make it easier so that you're not sitting there trying to think of Bible arguments that Adam's in heaven. There aren't any. Let's go to Cain. Cain is in hell. Right. Cain's in, he's being held until his formal sentencing. We do it in our nation all the time. You know, it takes about, it just takes a whole long time for it to happen in our country. And, and it, it's taking some time for us to live and have our lives so that those people that live long before us can make it to their sentencing. But we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and there will be a sentence issued. And that's the, that's the third aspect of death. That's the final, that's the second death as it's described in Revelation chapter 20 when whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Yep. Right. That is the second death. That is the execution of the sentence. Those are the three aspects of death. We want to focus on our physical death, the one that we think about the most, even though the others are far worse. <laughs> There's no comparison. Right. The others are far worse. You know what men have done to try to get rid of death? They've invented the doctrine of annihilation. The doctrine of annihilation is, as soon as I breathe, take my last breath, I stop existing. I just go out of existence. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. The Seventh-day Adventists believe that. I simply go out of existence. Eternal torment means to them, you're eternally gone. You no longer exist. Hey, if I wasn't going to exist after life, I could live it just about any way I wanted because who cares if I go out of existence? If you go out of existence, there's no consequence. There's no pain, there's no suffering. Right. That's called the doctrine of annihilation. Men have tried to get rid of death and judgment. They have the doctrine of reincarnation. You know, there's, there's a major section of the world that believes in that. Now that's a wonderful, that's intelligent man. Man that is in honor not is like a fool. 
Now, reincarnation lets you die more than once. Now, that's really stupid. You know, when you die, you come back as a grasshopper. When the grasshopper's crushed by a speeding automobile, you get to come back as a squirrel. When the squirrel dies, you get to come back as an elephant. You know, and you get to die over and over again. Now, isn't that intelligent? But that's how they try to get rid of death. Well, you're just going to come back and you get to live life differently. You get to hop around like a grasshopper. And so we have whole mil millions of people that believe stuff like that, even in our country. Then you, there's universalism. God couldn't make a hell. God couldn't burn anyone. Universalism is God. Everybody's going to be saved. Everybody's going to go to heaven. And that's getting, that is on the rise. That is the fastest growing theory of life after death in the United States of America. No one wants to preach about hell anymore. Robert Schuller says hell is living life with bad self-esteem. Because his whole religion is, look in the mirror and smile and say, you are wonderful. You are beautiful. That's what it is, the whole religion. Right. A religion of self-esteem. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. When he is asked about the existence of an eternal place of torment involving fire, he says, are you kidding? The God that I worship isn't anything like that. Hell is living life without self-esteem. Billy Graham has got rid of hell. He's been interviewed the last 10 years of his life and does not any longer believe in a place of eternal torment involving fire. They've got rid of it. It's universalism. Everybody's going to go to heaven. You know, the whole world talks that way. Okay, the Bible doesn't teach us so. The Bible doesn't teach us that. Amen. You know, they had these heresies in Paul's day. Did right. Paul have to write the Corinthian church and say that there were some teachers among them that were teaching the resurrection was past right. and overthrew the faith of some? Because, brethren, our faith is established on the resurrection. Do you know how far Paul would take the point that I'm making right now, that this sermon is crucial to our faith and our religion? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Right. Our lives are the most ridiculously self lives of self-denial that could ever be imagined if this is all we have to hope for in Christ. Now, Paul had a right to say it that way because do you know what he did for a, a lifelong passion? Do you know what his hobby was? His hobby was to be beaten, whipped, and stoned. Amen. When he wasn't engaged, number, hobby number one, it was to be shipwrecked. When he wasn't being shipwrecked, it was to be naked, cold, and hungry. So he could say, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable because Paul's existence was quite miserable, but I don't believe in the New Testament there was a happier man that ever walked this earth than the Apostle Paul. Amen. When you read his writings, he had the problems way back in those days. Brethren, this religion and this, this doctrine of hope is something we're to encourage each other with. You know, the Bible says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Do you know where that appears? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, with the coming of our Lord is the context. We're to comfort each other with these words. Right. I want to comfort you, because someday I'm hoping you're going to be there to comfort me. Believe you me. You know, don't come and tell me any sad stories when I'm laying in my bed. I want you to come and sing How Sweet to Die and Child of Grace and songs like that, and let's rejoice. Amen. And if I'm not ready to rejoice, then just leave me alone to die in my misery. We better be ready to rejoice and meet our God on a hopeful basis. Amen. Amen. We're to comfort one another with these words, and the saints have done it. We are too sheltered. We are too sheltered. We don't see enough death and dying. 
or this sermon would mean more to you. Look at, all, look at these children. Look at Andrea. She's sitting there blinking at me, looking at me. It's absolutely blank. Now she's, no, that's, don't, oh, don't be hurt. <laughs> don't be hurt. What I mean by that is no experience with death. Right. Amen. No experience with death. You know, they're not dying in the room next door. You're not taking care of a parent or a grandparent wasting away right in front of your eyes. We, not, not even animals. We, we don't even get to see animals. You haven't killed anything for supper in a long time, have you, young lady? No. We haven't seen it, so we're a little sheltered. We're removed from it. I w when it was closer, when it was closer at hand, they were dying at the stake, and they were dying early, and babies were dying. They weren't surviving the first couple years of life. I'll tell you something, there was a whole lot of comforting going on because this religion had the comfort for them. Right. And we want to be able to comfort one another. Our, our David could write Psalms and say it is precious in the sight of the Lord for his saints to die, and I hope that we all believe that. You know, we're meeting on the Lord's Day. It's called the Lord's Day. You know, when God set up this world 6,000 years ago, he made the heavens and the earth and all that in them is in six days and told man to rest the seventh day. But that seventh day is over. It's now the first day of the week because we worship on the Lord's Day because it was on this day that our Lord first appeared after his resurrection from the dead. He had defeated death and he met Mary Magdalene the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he met his apostles in an assembly they had that day. And he was in their midst. This is the Lord's day right. because he's the Lord of the living. He's the Lord of the resurrection. He has conquered death. And it's the Lord's day. Amen. That's why we're worshiping today. Adam was told, you eat, you die. Right. Chapter 3, verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19. After he had eaten and after he had died the first death, God told him about the second death. Verse 19, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I made you out of dust, I gave you life, you chose death, I'm going to let you die. I made you out of dust, and to dust you're going to return. God gave him life, and God gave him the tree of life. He was set for all of life. And he chose death. And God said to dust, you're going to return. This is, this is death declared. The Bible says in Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall die. That is the law of God. Amen. We can turn to Romans chapter 5 and see that because of Adam's sin, we're all going to die. Romans chapter 5. This is death declared. God declared death. We know where death came from. We're learning about it right now. The history of civilization should begin in the Garden of Eden. Where is somebody taking that putrid course? You taking that course? It didn't start in the Garden of Eden, did it? Anybody ever take a history course that started in the Garden of Eden? Anybody ever read a history book that starts in the Garden of Eden? Right here. His story. His story, God's story, the true record. Everybody else is a revisionist. They're all changing things to twist, the distort, twist and distort the reality. This is true history. This is where death came from. We had life. We had paradise. We had a perfect marriage and a perfect couple, perfect intelligence, perfect bodies, a perfect environment, and the tree of life to live forever. But God showed how weak 
free will is. That's right. Anybody want to trust in free will for salvation? Nope. God gave it one time to a perfect man. And look at how fast it went down. God gave it to a being higher than man. Right. The devil himself, Lucifer, the anointed cherub of God, and he chose to rebel as well. Free wills don't make it unless you're the free will of the blessed Jehovah, I am that I am. Amen. Because he is bound up by his own holiness, he can never sin. And there's no one higher in this universe for him to aspire to their throne. The devils could say, I will be like the Most High. Jehovah has no one to envy. He is infinitely perfect in all his ways, and those words understated. I am that I am, is our Jehovah. Romans chapter 5 tells us this, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Children, this is where death came from. There isn't any natural law in the universe that causes death. There is a spiritual law in the universe that causes death. And it's the decree of the Most High God that he made us out of dust. We didn't want life. We chose death, so he gives it to us. We sin. There's a wage for sin. There's a consequence. There's a reward. There's a punishment for it, and God does pay, reward, and punish, and we shall all die. It's right here in your Bibles. This is what we believe. Amen. Death declared. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Can you get out of receiving this paycheck? You know, if you go to your employer and you say, I don't want this week's paycheck, he'll take it back. He'll take it back and cash it for himself if you tell him you don't want it. But you're going to get this one. The wages of sin is death, and God's going to pay. Look at how Solomon would write about it in Ecclesiastes 8.8. Now listen to this, and read these words, and listen to them, how powerful they are. And a man that doesn't understand these, now, now, now follow me. You're going to say, I understand them. I understand them. I'm wise. Oh, 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 no, not, not just up here. Do you understand them? True understanding will result in a change in your life. Right. Do you really understand these words? Then nothing in this life, nothing in this life is worth living for except Jesus Christ and eternal life. Right. It will change your life. That means you really understand it. If you say, I understand about death, I understand. I've, been, I've read this verse 20 times. You've preached it 15 times before. Uh -uh, that's not enough. Does it change your life? Does it change your life? Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. That isn't just head knowledge. That is life-changing conviction about these things. Look at 8.8. 8. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Isn't that a, is that a condemnation? Do you th I can rule my spirit. Can you? Can you rule your spirit? Can I rule mine? Can you keep your spirit when it's time for it to leave? Nope. No way. There is no man that hath power over his spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. When men are in war and they're afraid of dying and they're tired of suffering 
Do you know what they can always be counting down? They're counting down the days until their discharge. You know, when there's another firefight, they go to defend our nation. They go to lay down their lives because they're caught up in the adrenaline-producing, trained response of fighting. But when they're in their foxhole and they're lonely and they're tired and they're deprived and they're fearful of dying, they're counting the days down for their discharge. There's no discharge in this war. Do you understand that? This, this verse is just Solomon punching us with the reality that we can't stop death. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. One long verse, and it tells us you ain't got no power to protect right. yourself from death, and you can't get out of this war. You're going to have to see it all the way to the bitter end, and guess who loses? You do. Amen. We're all going to die. Right. Death declared. That was my first point that I wanted to make to today. Death declared. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto men once to die. You have an appointment made for you, and you will keep it. You can stand your doctor up, and you can stand your dentist up, but you're not going to stand the Lord up. You will keep that appointment. <clears throat> and after that, the judgment. We read it in Psalm 49 this morning. Anyone watching this video or listening to a cassette tape, we read Psalm 49 before we even got started this morning because it describes that the wicked have no deliverance from death, and they're foolish in their presumption on life by not altering their lives to live according to the death that's coming for all of them. Our whole race dreads death. It tries to ignore it. It tries to postpone it. It tries to freeze dry it. It tries to choose against it. What do I mean by freeze drying it? Don't you know what I mean by that? Don't you know that there are men that are giving themselves to have their bodies freeze dried? in hope that someday there's going to be a cure for cancer found and they're going to be able to thaw them out in a microwave oven and give them the cure for cancer and they're going to come back to life. I'm serious. There's right. vaults around this country with freeze-dried bodies locked up waiting for someday for the cure of cancer. I'll tell you something, there's 50 other diseases waiting for the cure of cancer to be found. Because it doesn't matter. Three score and ten are what the Lord gives and 80 if by reason of strength. Psalm 90, you can read about it if you wish, but don't go get yourself freeze-dried. Right. Hospitals and funeral homes and nursing homes are a good place to go because the Bible says that's the end of all flesh and the living will lay it to his heart. I've just laid death declared to your heart. God has declared death against our race. He's declared death against you and you do not have any power over your spirit. And if I outlive you, there will be a day where I am sitting kneeling or standing beside your bed and I will look in your eyes and I will hold your hand and we will both know that you do not have power over your spirit to retain your spirit in the day of death but you might be sitting standing or kneeling beside mine as well and looking into my eyes and the truth is still the same there is no man that hath power over his spirit to retain the spirit mm -hmm. but brethren if our hearts are right we don't want the power who wants to stay here one more day than we have to Man. Listen, if the Lord says, this is time for you to come home to me, as we just sang in that last song, let's get out of here. Amen. Let's get out of here and go home to be with him. Amen. Death defied. This is what I've been waiting to get to. I hate introductions sometimes because, see, I've already been through the introduction all week long. I want to get to death defied, but I want to lay the foundation. God's declared death against us. But listen, we have the world's most hope-filled religion. And it's not hope-filled because I'm going to tell you you're going to get a Cadillac for your driveway. That isn't the hope. The hope is eternal life. Amen. 
That's what the hope is. Look at Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. You are reading a history book. I don't know that Christopher Columbus discovered America in 1492. I do not know it, and you can't prove it. But I do know something. You are about to read some history, and it's a whole lot better than Christopher Columbus. Amen. Christopher Columbus, his bones are, are a rotten someplace on this planet. I can't remember where he was died. I don't care. I can't remember where he was born. I don't care. I can't remember how long he lived. I don't care. I know that he didn't have power to retain the spirit in the day of death. And that I do care about. Because no matter how great a things a man may accomplish in this world, he's going to die. And he has already died. Isn't that exciting that the founder of our religion isn't laying someplace rotting? Is that disgusting? You know, I mentioned Missouri in my prayer. Who, did I, who was I referring to? Joseph Smith. Why did I say the state of Utah? Brigham Young. Why did I say Mecca? Muhammad. Can you believe it? They're, they're Where's Charles Taze Russell? He's in the ground. Where is the founder of our religion? He's seated at the right hand of God, Amen. far above all principalities and powers, and every name that is named in this world and the world to come. Right. Amen. That's where our, the founder of our religion is. And he will make sure that every single one, every single citizen of his kingdom, every single member of his nation, and every one of his family will be with him. His entire existence, his life at the right hand of God depends upon him getting every single one there. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He will not lose one of them or his whole purpose, his whole life is over and gone and he is ruined. And let me tell you something. Of God. Right. Don't you doubt that for a second? Or are you thinking that maybe your great grandparents were monkeys? No you know how I say that. If you're going to doubt that promise of God's word, then you ought to doubt the promise of God's word that He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing in six days. Do you understand why I do that? You, you believe that, don't you? Right. You didn't see it. You weren't there to watch it. You still believe it? Amen. Uh, you can't see heaven either, but you're going to be there. Right. I hope you believe it with the same. Basis, faith. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Amen. Jesus Christ will not lose a single one. His entire reputation and character depends upon this fact. Anybody calls on my name, they shall never be cast out. Amen. Amen. It's that simple. Of course, we make our calling and election sure. But anyone that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity has passed from death unto life. John 5, 24. Okay, this is a history book. Let's start through it and just look at, take a few picture snapshots in the history of man and see death defied. Now, we don't get far from Adam. We get to the seventh from Adam. What's his name? Enoch. Enoch. Let's go. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Genesis 5. This is a history book. Right. This is a history book. God gave Moses the, the history of the world the first 2,000 years to write down for us. Genesis 5:21. and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years. I don't believe he lived 72 or 37. I believe he lived 65 because this is a history book written by God, and he's about to defy death. The death that he had told Adam, you eat, you die. 
You were made out of dust and you chose death. You're going to return to dust. Now we have Enoch. Genesis 5.21, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Do you know what it says in Hebrews 11.5? Enoch didn't have to see death because God translated him. So here, right in the beginning of the history book of the history of this world, when the population was very, very small, there was a man named Enoch who walked with God every day for 300 years after he begat his first son, and that man did not die because there is a God that is able to save men from death. And he saved Enoch, and Enoch did not have to die. He just was not. You know, one day his wife went looking for him and couldn't find him. And it wasn't because he was behind on the other side of the garage. It was because he was on the other side of the universe. Right? He was, a long, he was a long way from home, and he wasn't lost. Isn't that wonderful? Enoch was gone. I see God defying death. By taking Enoch right out of this world, he just disappeared without having to die. They didn't bury his body anywhere. Let's come over to Exodus chapter 3. We can't take too long in looking at our history book. It's a big book. There's 6,000 years of history in it. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. What are we going to get out of this one? Moses is on the back side of the desert. That is a lonely place. I think the front side of a desert would be a pretty bad place to be. But he's in the back side of the desert, and he's at a burning bush. And the Lord's speaking to him out of that burning bush, and here's what the Lord says to him. Verse 6 of Exodus 3. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, you guys, you're smarter than anyone else that's ever read the Old Testament, except a few of the enlightened ones that God blessed with understanding to know what that verse meant, aren't you? Because you have the New Testament. Do you know how powerful that statement is? You, you do know. That's why we got an amen from the back room back row. You understand that? I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham. I am. Not I was the God of Abraham while he was alive. I am, present tense, the God of Abraham who's been dead for 400 years because Abraham is still alive in another place. In a place that's called Abraham's bosom. In a place that's called paradise. In a place that's called the third heaven. They're all the same place. It's the presence of God. Abraham was there, and God was his God. And God, speaking to Moses, 400 years later said, I am, right now, at the present time, this minute, that you're standing beside this burning bush, I am the God of your father Abraham. And Jesus taught us how to interpret that in Matthew 22. Death is being defied. Do you understand? Death is being defied. Men are falling and dying everywhere, including the righteous. But God is saying, I am the God of all the righteous. Present tense. They're still with me, they're alive, and they'll be forever with me. That's Exodus 3. How about Deuteronomy 32? Deuteronomy 32. Now at some of these I could dance. This is one of my favorites. Deuteronomy 32. Look at what God says. Now is death universal? 
yes. on all men, yes. every animal, yes. every creature yes. is dying. It's on earth. Everything is dying. Death passed upon all men. Here's what God has to say. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. Amen. I kill, and I make alive. Amen. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. Amen. What being can say that? Have you ever met anyone that can say that? That can lift their hand up to heaven and say, I live forever? But the God that we worship can lift his hand up to heaven and say, I live forever. I love our God. Amen. Bring me their statutes. You got to bring them. They can't send them. They have to bring them. Bring them. Give me a sledgehammer, and we'll see if they live. They can't raise a hand, and they can't speak. You know how God makes fun of them. They have lips, but they speak not. Ears have they, but they hear not. They have eyes, but they see not. And they, ha they have legs, but they can't move. They have to be carried about. You know what the Bible says about anybody that worships them? They're just as stupid and just like those stupid idols. Amen. Our God raises his hand up to heaven and says, I live forever. Amen. He's defying death in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let's go to Numbers 23. Numbers 23 now, if we backtrack like this very often, we'll be in trouble. But let's go to Numbers 23. <clears throat> Numbers 23, a man named Balaam, a prophet, has been hired to try to curse Israel by Balak, the king of Moab. And the Lord's taught him a few lessons with a speaking ass. You remember the story now? And so Balaam's up there and he says, well, whatever the Lord gives me, that's what I'm going to say because I don't want to run in to that ass and the angel of the Lord again. Whatever the Lord gives me, that's what I'm going to say. And so here we are in Numbers chapter 23 and look at verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Oh, that wasn't nice. That was meaning Jacob's just going to be huge and very numerous and prosperous. And Balak's listening to these words. Who can count the dust of Jacob? And the number of the fourth part of Israel. There is not a man alive able to even be able to count a quarter of, the, of this nation. It's going to grow and be so great. Oh. He's speaking spiritually in the ultimate sense. If you go read the full context here. Look, look what he says next. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his, exclamation point. When a man said, whatever the Lord gives me to speak, that's what I'm going to speak, here's what he says about the righteous. Let me die like Jacob, and all of his descendants are going to die. And he was speaking, speaking of the spiritual seed of Israel. No man will be able to number it. It'll be like the dust of the earth. You won't be able to count a quarter of it. It's a huge number, an innumerable company that we're going to go be part of. Let me die the death of the righteous. They're defying death. When, when would a man ever say, let me die the death of the righteous? Death is a good thing when the righteous die. Right. And Balaam was saying, I wish I could die like that. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. God raised up some prophets. Two of the greatest of those prophets were Elijah and Elisha. Did Elijah and Elisha have power over death? 
They were the prophets of the Most High God. How did Elijah go to be with the Lord? Did a chariot of fire come down and take him personally into heaven? Amen. With Elisha watching? Right. Is, is God defying death for us in our history book? Amen. Is, there, is there a line of the saints of the Most High God that we can see coming through the pages of Scripture that were on this earth and they didn't have to die and they went to heaven without dying or they looked at dying as a good thing because they were going to be with the Lord anyway and let me die the death of the righteous. Second Kings chapter 2, you know all about it. All I, all I need to do is tell you, remind you. In verse 12, verse 11, it says, It came to pass as they still went on and talked, that's Elijah and Elisha, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Those angels had to set Elisha aside because he had a few more years to be here. And they grabbed Elijah and put him in the chariot and carried him off into heaven. And from that, the Negroes in the early history of this country sang, Swing low, sweet chariot. There's nothing wrong with that song because I'm hoping that someday that chariot, that sweet chariot is going to swing low for you. And it's going to swing low for me. Amen. And that's how everyone gets to heaven. Right. Is by a chariot ride pulled by flaming angels. You say, can you give me another verse? How did Lazarus go to heaven? the beggar that was laid at the gate of the rich man. The angels came and carried him to heaven. Right. And here's an example of what it looks like. You're in a chariot ride. Death is being defied. Death is being defied through a line of God's people in this history book that we call the Bible. Amen. Did Elijah have power over death before this event? Mm -hmm. That little boy once die? Yep. Was he once out in the field working with his dad? My head, my head. He had a brain aneurysm probably or something like that. He was taken up and he died. Yep. Elijah came and the, that poor mother grabbed Elijah and said, what have you done? What have you done to me by giving me this little boy and then letting him die when I loved him so dearly? He said, where is he? And he went and stretched himself on that child three times and brought, brought the little boy back down from his little attic bedroom and presented him to his mother. I want to tell you, there's power. There's power in this universe. And God is showing us little tokens of it through 6,000 years of history. Right. 4,000 years of history because that power is available for us. Mm -hmm. It's not just available. That power is guaranteed for us. Yeah. That mother had her child back because the power of God is real, brethren. Amen. You know how real it was? Elisha said, I want twice the spirit of Elijah. Now Elijah raised the dead while Elijah was living. Elisha raised the dead after he was dead. Right. Everybody better be familiar with that story. Elisha was buried in a little cave, in a hole in the ground. And one day there was a battle, and the Midian, a, man, a man of the Midianites died. This is in your Bibles. A man of the Midianites died. The Midianites threw their dead comrade into this hole, and when he got to the bottom of the hole, he hit and landed on the bones of Elisha. And he leaped up into life. Right. He was raised from the dead by the power of Elisha's bones, by the power of the God of Elisha. Yeah. Because Elisha had said, give me the double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elijah could raise the dead while he was living. Elisha could raise the dead after he was dead. Isn't that incredible? There's power. Right. There's power. It's not in the doctors. 
It's not in the living of us. It's in the Lord. Amen. And it was through the bones of Elisha. That's glorious. I hope you love that. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Has someone that you loved, that trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, died and left you here? Look what David said about his little child that died, that he fasted and prayed for for seven days. 2 Samuel 12, 23. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David was going to go to him. Now that's defying death. I'm going to go see that little boy anyway. Death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I will see my son again. And he said that about his little boy. Now there's so many other, let's go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. I'm going to overlook and neglect a number of other verses because of time. But I hope you can remember Psalm 49 that we read earlier this morning where it said, But God shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave and shall receive me in total contrast to the wicked who will never see light. Total contrast in Psalm 49. But right now we're going to Psalm 16 because David has something to say about his son. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now David's writing the words, but these words are about David's son. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. That's his tongue. My tongue is full of joyful things to say. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David was speaking here of his son that was coming, that is the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, saying, he will not leave my soul in the grave. I will not see corruption. David knew who he had a son coming that was going to be the conqueror of death. Amen. This is death defied, and David wrote a piece of poetry called Psalm 16 that defied death. And so let's move on and come all the way in to the New Testament and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and I'm almost done for this morning. Luke chapter 2. Is there going to be coffee after the potluck? Amen. There will be coffee this time. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have coffee. I don't want to be long, but we want to see, we want to see enough to know that from the first book to the last book of this Bible, there is victory over death. Amen. And it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't offer you any of it. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. I love being Amen. that kind of a minister. All I can do is point you to the one that can do everything. Amen. I am nothing. He is everything. Amen. He must increase. I must decrease. Amen. That's a wonderful job to have. Don't trust me for anything except to tell you about him. And when I'm not telling you enough about him, write and complain. Amen. Call and complain. Visit and complain. Luke 2.29, look at the way Simeon was talking. How does a man talk this way? Lord, how does a man just walk around and talk this way? Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. 
How do you walk around in full health and say, Lord, I'm ready to die? Do you know how he was able to do that? Because he had just held a little baby in his hands that the Lord had told him, Simeon, you're going to live long enough to see the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had held that little baby in his hands with Joseph and Mary watching him. And he had and said, and he, look at, you can read the words, how blessed he was. He blessed God and said, I can die now. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all thy people, a light to light the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother stood there looking at those precious words that were coming out of Simeon holding a little baby. And he said, now I can die. I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does a man just walk around and defy death like that? Because he has a hope of something beyond this life, and he right. knows that passing through that dark curtain is not a bad thing at all. Are you all with me on that? Sin, do you see, do you see these men all the way through? They didn't. They weren't afraid to die because they had their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm ready to go. Just like you told me, this was the last event. Hey, the last event's here. Take me out of here. That was Simeon. How about John chapter 2? John chapter 2. Death defied. This is one of my favorites. You can have your favorites. Whatever favorite you want, you pick your favorites. I'll have my favorites. It's easy to remember a favorite. So we all need our favorites. Together, we'll probably remember the whole thing. And if we're all around your hospital bed someday, we'll be able to remember a lot together Amen. without bringing one of my outlines. But it's wonderful. This, this is the, these are the words by which we ought to exhort and comfort one another. Yeah, Look at John chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus has just cleansed the temple and driven all the money changers out of it. I mean, he looks like a man of authority. He is upset, and he drove all the money changers out. Verse 18, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? You're taking a lot of authority on yourself. You give us a sign as to what basis you're doing this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Now that is defying death. They're, they were too ignorant to understand it, but you know it, don't you? Because mm -hmm. we have the rest of John 2. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'd have probably been just as dumb as they were. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? So, you know how big their minds were? About that big. Do you know how big ours would be if it wasn't for the grace of God in the New Testament? Smaller. Smaller. Do you know how much light and wisdom there is in the Word of God? They were thinking, now wait a minute. It took Herod 46 years to get it to this level of grandeur, and you're going to raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he spake of the temple of his body. Amen. He was defying death. Our Lord Jesus Christ was defying death. And he knew what kind of death he had to go through. Do you know what kind of death you're going to go through? A little dark curtain. And when you punch through it, you're going to be into the everlasting light of the presence of the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know what Jesus had to go through? He called it a baptism. He said, thy waves and thy billows have gone over my soul. The dogs of hell were barking against him, and the lions were there. The lion 
the devil himself was after our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, and he had all the guilt of all our sins. How much guilt do you have? None. He had all the guilt of right. all our sins, and he knew that that was coming, and he said, go ahead and destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. It, it gives me glory to tell you that message, that a man was on this earth that faced a death for all of us. Do you know what it says about his death? He died a billion of them. Because it says he tasted death for every man. Right. Every one of his children. He tasted death for all of us at one time. Now, is that a pretty bad death? And you've only got to face one for yourself? He tasted it for all of us. He said, go ahead and destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. Amen. He was defying death even before he got to it. That's our Savior. That's who we want to talk about all day long. That's who we want to rejoice in all day long. Look at John 5, 26. Look at John 5, 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. The Father has life. He can give life. He can take it. Remember, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. God said in Deuteronomy 32, the Father has life, and he's given me life, and he's given me the authority to give it to whomsoever I will. Verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That is the Lord Jesus Christ defying death. I'm going to call everybody out of the grave at the last day. I will call, and they all shall come. Now that is power over death. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke that way, defying death, when he was here in this world. Brethren, for those of you that read John 11, where Lazarus, his good friend, died, who had two sisters, Mary and Martha, did he tell his disciples, we need to go to Bethany because our good friend Lazarus sleepeth. Right. Our Lord can describe death as sleeping. Did he get there and see the two sisters and were they distraught over the death of their brother and he said unto them now this is how this is how our savior talks i am the resurrection and the life amen that's an incredible statement could i pre could we could we work that on that for an hour or two i am the resurrection and the life i hope we are just in a different route i am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Amen. And I ask you, and I'll ask you before we part company this day, right. believest thou this? Amen. 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 That's our Savior. Right. I am the resurrection and the life. What are you grieving about Lazarus over here? You'll never die. I have conquered death. You say, but Mary and Martha did die. Oh, really? Did they pass through that curtain and end up in the presence of God? You want to call that death? Jesus called it sleeping. Did they die the second death and spend an eternity in hell? No. You want to call that death? Jesus said they would never die. I believe them. Passing through the little curtain was nothing. He raised their body. He will raise their bodies from the dead, and they'll be in heaven forever, and we'll get to meet both of them if we can get around through the whole company of the redeemed. 
and find them. Believest thou this? After we eat, we're going to come back and consider some more of the defying of death in the Bible Amen. by statement and by action. And there's much for us to look at. You know, Jesus raised the dead and he sent his apostles out. And what was the fundamental message of their gospel? He is risen. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and there is a resurrection. And who wants to be baptized to show that resurrection? Do you know what's one of the greatest de de defyings of, of, of death that there is at all? It's baptism by immersion. When we are baptized, we're, we are saying, O oh, death, where is thy sting? I'm going to let this man lay me beneath the water, just like I'm going to be laid beneath the ground someday, but he's going to bring me up just like the man who called him, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to bring me up out of the grave. Well, everybody's a Baptist when it comes funeral time. Everybody is. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised.